0: Well, hello folks. Welcome to The Sacred Speaks. My name is John Price. I'm your host. And today we have an exciting episode with the good father, Richard Rohr, second time around after the first appearance on The Sacred Speaks in episode 91, where I spoke with Father Rohr about the universal Christ, his book on Christianity and non-dualism. And today we talk about one of his older books, The Quest for the Grail. This is a... uh, quite an incredible read. And from a clinical perspective, it's one that I'm, I've just bought a bunch of copies for and I'm handing out to people. Something about this uh, this next few episodes, uh, I'll intersperse a couple of others just based upon uh, schedules for the participants, but I'm going to spend about five episodes exploring men and men's work. And I'll do the same thing with women and women's work, exploring the archetype of the feminine, and then looking at relationships. But This first part of the series will be on men, and I began it with Father Rohr, given his deep history into men's work, starting with his Men's Rites of Passage work in the 90s. And as he says in the interview, he's been running retreats for men for over 50 years, and he's a pretty solid candidate to explore men's work with. So I I, I will be exploring this work with Father Richard Rohr as often as he'll let me. So it was a fun conversation. Thank you, Richard, for your time. As always, it is much appreciated. And I want to get to a couple of, uh, of links, but then uh, talk about something serious. So uh, check out The Sacred Speaks at thesacredspeaks.com. Uh, the Sacred Speaks is brought to you by the Center for Healing Arts and Sciences. A lot of what I'm doing with The Sacred Speaks and certainly the book I'm working on is theoretical and intellectual. But at the Center for Healing Arts and Sciences, what we're doing is making that information applied so check out our website. We do integrative work. There's psychotherapy, acupuncture, yoga, cooking, all kinds of different endeavors, including many groups that we're working on offering. Uh, I run a number of men group, men's groups, and, uh, and we're expanding that. So if you're in Houston and you'd like to find somebody to work with, come and check us out. If not, just check us out online. And of course, um, reach out if you need some support, and we'll certainly help you find it. Uh, also, Modern Nations, check out ModernNationsMusic.com. They are responsible for the theme song, Clouds. Hang out to the end of the episode, episode listen to Clouds. And as always, check out the Young Center in Houston at younghouston.org, J-U-N-G-Houston.org. There's all kinds of wonderful classes and opportunities to connect with folks. Uh, so, to do uh, something rather serious, um, one of the quotes that I offered uh, Father Rohr in the interview was from his prophecy, essentially, wondering or questioning what suicide rates will look like in 25 years. His book was written in 1994, and I I took him up on his question to look up what suicide rates are. And as you'll hear in the interview, suicide rates increased 37 percent. This is according to the CDC, 37 percent from the year 2000 to 2021. And of course, the majority of those are men. And I want to spend a moment today reflecting on a friend who, I th- on the day that I was interviewing Father Rohr, he took his own life, Ben Bologna. And he was close to the Sacred Speaks. He was involved in the design team and really designed a lot of the aesthetic and uh, the logo. For example, if you see the logo in the bottom corner and look on the website, um, it was his design. And in remembrance of him, I would like to read his description of what this logo meant to him, and also direct you to Lifeline 988. And this is a uh, 988 is a suicide and crisis lifeline. And if you want to get help or talk to somebody, please check it out. You can text 988 or you can call. Go to the website 988lifeline.org. And I've been looking through this website. It's an easy website to navigate. Answers a lot of questions. As recently as yesterday, I was speaking with someone whose patient called uh, a suicide hotline and was um, heartened by the fact that there was no connection there. It was totally confidential, and they could just unburden themselves. When I work with people who are suicidal, I tend to say that part of you does need to die. We just need to figure out which part and consciously let that go and grieve the loss of whatever kind of struggle or weight you've been carrying. Because when you read the reports of people, and we've all been touched by suicide in some way, when you read the reports, we don't know if it works. However, we do know that if people don't complete suicide, and or they decide not to, they can thrive. And so to share that message, you can thrive, you can move through whatever's going on. And so at least give them a call and try. Because part of you may need to die. Just not the whole, not all of you. It's a what we usually say is it's a permanent fix to a temporary issue. Because we do see so many reports of people who make it through a very difficult time in their life and they can thrive and they get better. Please reach out. Nine eight eight uh lifeline.org, or you can text and call nine eighty eight on your phone. And what that community does is it connects you to a crisis hotline in your local region, and it's confidential. The website's really easy to use. I've, I've read a number of uh, reports from people, uh, testimonials, and go check it out now, and especially if you are concerned about somebody. In my experience, just talk to them. Let them know you see that they're suffering and that you can help. Uh, so I want to read Ben's Um, evaluation or understanding of what this logo meant, just in tribute to him. I just texted him and said, tell me about the logo. He said, in the profound exploration of, of encapsulating the very essence of this endeavor as a visual representation, we delved into the myriad layers of symbolism to impart profound meaning regarding the authentic nature of the sacred speaks. The overarching form, an inverted triangle intersected by a horizontal line near its base, bears the ancient alchemical insignia of Earth, the very foundation from which our collective existence emanates. Symbolizing our species, fundamental roots, and dwelling, it signifies the core of our physical being. The trinity of circles adorning each apex offers a dual connotation. It pays homage to the divine trinity, an eternal motif present in various spiritual and philosophical traditions. Secondly, it signifies the transcendent bond shared among all humans within this terrestrial realm, a connection beyond the ordinary, reflecting the profound and interrelatedness that unites us all. The eye situated atop the emblem symbolically alludes to our enigmatic third eye, an intuitive faculty we employ to expand consciousness and gaze into the uncharted realms of knowledge. As intricate lines intertwine throughout the composition, they foster a visual harmony, seamlessly linking the icon to the bespoke wordmark of the sacred speaks, thus forming an integral part of the complete brand system. This elaborate symbology aims to evoke contemplation on the profound and mysterious aspects of our existence and our shared journey towards enlightenment. He says, I hope this resonates with you and is something you'll be able to share, however you see fit. I grieve with you, Ben, and with your family. And there are a lot of people around the world, certainly grieving now, but when it comes to suicide, there are a lot of people touched by this with increasing numbers It's pretty concerning. So don't hesitate to reach out to somebody who you feel might be suffering. Just let them know you care. Let them know you're thinking about them. And of course, distribute this number, 988-SUICIDE-PREVENTION, Suicide -suicide and Crisis Lifeline. And we're going to talk about this with Father Rohr. I talk about men's movement and men's work, and we get into all kinds of subjects. But I think it's so important to Uh, Take that challenge of wondering in our culture, what might be going on that suicide is such a pervasive issue? What might be happening with some of the worldview that we tend to imagine is the worldview. And we may need to reevaluate the culture that we're in to try to more um, meet our needs, meet our deeper needs, um, meet our deeper spiritual needs, to connect us with the great mystery of existence, despite what tradition you may be in but to at least recognize that we are in something miraculous. Just the nature of being awake is miraculous. So spread the word, let them know, and reach out to those you care about. Give them a big hug and some love. We all need that. For now, we'll leave it there, and enjoy the episode.
1: Father Richard Rohr, I can't tell you well, how good John, it is. it's good to be with you again. It's great to see your smile. Again, again,
0: Thank yes. Thanks for coming. Um, so, of course, I've been gushing about this book. We're talking today about the book, The Quest for the Grail. Here's my copy. I've marked all over it, and I got a lot of questions. We got a lot of ground to cover. So my gratitude is immense. You know how much I love and adore you and your work. And thank you for your time and attention today. I am exuding gratitude. You're so, worth it yeah, thank you and you
1: get it so it's <laughs> it's easy to talk to you about it. I know you're not gonna misinterpret it
0: uh no many I mean people
1: do if they don't think in somewhat psychological theological categories they don't know what i'm saying so go ahead please well I, I, and we can certainly get into that
0: i think that there um it's so it, it makes so much sense to me i can't imagine but i of course know how often people see through their own lenses and how sure. some of this material is going to be tough for people to grasp so the the first uh, i know that you and jimmy marsh talked about this but the first question is I just want to contextualize your men's work, and I know this book was written in 94, and so what
1: brought you to men's work in the first place? You know, several things. First of all, I went to the Franciscan Seminary as a very young man, so I lived in an all-male world They kept us away from women, I think, to <laughs> supposedly make us marry the church instead of a woman, and it worked, darn it but they were they were wonderful years and uh so living in an all-male world i got used to the neurotic side of the male and the beautiful Mm -hmm. side of the male Mm -hmm. then after ordination among other jobs giving boys retreats was one of them but i also was for 14 years jail chaplain here in albuquerque new mexico Mm -hmm. so just day after day dealing with highly wounded men told me I had to help them figure out what's wrong with this culture, Mm -hmm. what's wrong with the father-son relationship especially. I think those were the big ingredients that made me try to address the issues of men. So I started giving men's retreats. Up here at Ghost Ranch in New Mexico, mm-hmm. and uh, all over the country and Europe. So while I was giving these retreats, of course, men would talk to me, and I'd learn more. So it fed on itself; it kept teaching me more and more.
0: That's that's certainly what I'm learning. I I facilitate a number of men's groups, and I'm I'm growing more and more into that space. And what's, what is fascinating is it does exponentially feed on itself, as you say. You know, you, The more you're exposed, it's like this loving, healing, hopefully loving, healing laboratory that, that facilitates um, an expertise and a, and, a, and a presence with men and a, a way to disarm men and their various defenses. You're certainly good at that.
1: You know, one thing, John, I became aware of is, and understand this, you will, I think men are very simple Mm -hmm. compared to women. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe that's just because I've worked with them so much, but they just need need to feel that you're not going to humiliate them or try to control Mm -hmm. them. And very quickly, the trust comes mm-hmm. and you can go a long way. Of course, I'm speaking as another man. I, I realize that, but I became convinced men are rather simple beings. They don't look like it. And they get wounded just as much, if not more than women, but, uh, they, it takes very little to get them to perk up and listen. We've got 60 men gathering today here at Hamas Canyon in New Mexico for uh, men's rites of passage, and uh, they just keep coming. I don't even do them anymore, but they're so eager to be initiated mm-hmm. without knowing what that word might really mean.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, they know they're
1: missing something. So I'm going up Saturday night to join for the final rituals. Will you, will you share one of my
0: favorite stories you share? Because uh, you're talking is the elephant story. You're talking about the initiation uh, and I want to yeah. find that a bit.
1: People do love that. I yeah, love it. <laughs> I'll tell it real quickly. There was an area of Africa where the young bull elephants were pushing over trees. Stomping on Volkswagens, as they said at that time, and running toward people. And this just is not typical young bull behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, so they came in and did a study, and they realized all the old bull elephants had been poached, killed. Mm -hmm. And so they flew in three old man, elephants (laughs) in this very area. Isn't that neat? And I I saw it on film. And when the the young boys would want to stomp on cars or push over trees for no reason, the big bull elephants would just wave their ears and make a loud sound. Yeah. (laughs) And the boys would look. They'd never heard that before because they never had a daddy. So, I mean, it's such a simple story, but they say the whole culture changed in three months. Mm. And all they needed was some older bull elephants to tell the boys how we operate Mm -hmm. as good male elephants. Isn't that a beautiful story? Beautiful. Yeah, I, I told that 20, 25 years ago, so I don't remember which African country it was. I would never go tr-
0: grow tired of hearing that story. Just something inside of me. You wow. know. I, I, I get it. I get what you're saying about the simplicity, because when you see a man of integrity and a man of wisdom... Oh, boys
1: just... Oh. They fall in love with you. Totally. They, they eat it up so much. They want it so much.
0: Well, that's yeah. That's you. I mean, one of the things about knowing you is that I, I'm a little suspicious of what part of... And you can fill this in for me... Part of what the Catholic Church was doing with this father image, this father, central father figure, and why the father was the holder of the spiritual tradition, because when you do have lost boys, the, if you have a spiritual emissary who can f- flap his ears and say, hey, this is how we can convene, this is how we live in honesty and integrity and in right relationship to the mysteries of existence, something magical really happens and we can fall in line pretty quickly. Is that is that a a pretty solid theory that may seem obvious at this point, but to me it was pretty wild to contemplate.
1: In my experience, but working with in men's retreats and boys retreats now for 45 years. Uh, I think the only love that competes with the love of a man and a woman is the father, son love. The Say next pure love, in <laughs> to use Jungian language. Yeah, it actually competes. Mm-hmm. It's a, it sh- it shouldn't have to because mm-hmm. they're not competing with one another, but they feel equally strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I feel that. I mean, I I get that. I feel I that. I too. see that, and I get that in in the communities that I've worked. I did work in residential treatment and. I, I didn't have the kind of experiences and knowledge that I do now. That was a long time ago. But seeing, in reflecting on my experiences working in that space, I, I get it. I And it's so necessary in a culture. And let me tangent for a second. Uh, there's something that needs to be said here, because anytime I'm speaking about men or men and women or the masculine and the feminine, I feel like I need to do these disclaimers and I don't need to go into it now, but there's something so tender about speaking about men. It's like you're going to offend somebody by talking about men these days. And I'm wondering if that's the case, if you noticed that in the 90s when you started having these conversations about men's work, how you navigated the complexity of the masculine, feminine, male, female dynamics.
1: Yeah, it's it was mistrusted by many women they were so convinced that males were the problem, mm-hmm. and I realized they had to go through that. They still have to go through that. That they didn't couldn't see the beautiful side of men. That mm. more mature women could stop reacting against us. I, I don't mean to sound reactionary in saying that, but you're not helping the man of the world just to say they're terrible. Mm-hmm. We've got to say, what's good about male energy? Do you know these very days in Greece, there's a UNESCO World Heritage Site proclaimed at a site that's all just Greek ruins now called Eleusis. Mm. Have you heard Mm -hmm. about this? Of course. Yeah. And I was invited. It didn't work out to go. But, uh, you know, we all ask the question. What happened in Greece, approximately 500 years before Christ, that produced so many men in every category, literature, drama, poetry, history, geometry, uh, you name it, and we're, we're finding out they went to Eleusis, the young Greek male, to be initiated. Now, no one, because they were called mystery religions, they remained a mystery. Mm -hmm. And no one wrote down what happened there. Um, But we've got to ask the question, no culture in the world comes close to Greece in terms of producing people at the top of their game. Mm -hmm. And I'm not Greek, so I'm not pushing my... (laughs) my, (laughs) might sound like it but um we've got to ask that question they did something right and it's basically in a 200 300 year period yeah all these enormously gargantuan men emerge sophocles aristotle plato it it goes on and on on and on
0: yeah i'm i'm pretty interested in that tradition obviously anybody watching and listening to the podcast i I started taking Greek and I, it's been extremely helpful. I learned very I learned a bit. I learned enough to just kind of slightly navigate around, but it it it's incredible how that uh, learning Greek really is a key that unlocks a lot of our yeah. western tradition.
1: I had 6 years of it and I hated oh. it. I'm not good at languages, <laughs> but I have been happy the rest of my life. Yeah. That I know Greek. That's so for beautiful. a beautiful technical language. Yes. Yeah, theological, psychological.
0: Well, so I want to jump into this, um, the masculine the, the masculine and masculine archetypes. Can you elaborate on the characteristics that define the masculine archetype as you see
1: it? You know, at the beginning of Quest for the Grail, I just read this this morning, <laughs> so I'd have something to talk about. <laughs> you have plenty to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> when the inner king rules... It's another way of describing good male energy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Objectivity is preferred. The outer world is preferred. Now, I admit this is half of the picture.
2: Yeah,
1: I admit that. But we better stop eliminating the, the other half and balancing it with the feminine. Mm-hmm. Reason, law, pattern, spirit, truth. Religions are all, the gods are always up in the sky. Mm -hmm. I went to Germany. The Germans pointed out to me how they have these little gnomes and elves sitting in their yards. Because in German mythology, the gods come out of the earth. Mm. What does that say, huh? Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) It's loyalty to the big story, which is why men get so obsessed with religion and so angry about it and so because the the way they first understood the big story which is usually an infantile way they they absolutize it they're determined where i have another column which says when the queen rules you have not determination but compassion now these categories i can't prove them and there's a lot of people don't like you saying them because it looks like we're over defining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I understand that, and I realize that. It's just having worked with them for so many years now, I'm I'm always understanding them in paradoxical contrast to one another. Then it works. Um, like objectivity is preferred. Well, too much objectivity is terrible. Yes. (laughs) Too much outer is terrible. It's the second world war. It's who needs it, you know? And I realize that. But you throw objectivity out. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say it. We have the present politics of the United States where truth does not exist. Yes. There's no objectivity. And the irony is this is being presented by men. But they've, they're they uninitiated men. They're men who have no inner life, no depth, no feminine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They dominate the feminine, but they don't know how to integrate or love or be submissive to the feminine. So then it's always dangerous. So what am I saying? Uh, male spirituality prefers stories of outer conquest. Uh, They want to go to action movies. (laughs) I'll bet you like action movies. I love them. Yes. I knew it. (laughs) What is that in a man? Loves cars running into other cars. (laughs) It's the outer world. Yeah. And it's, it's not bad. It's, it's beautiful when it can be understood, which is feminine, the yeah. understanding part. Yeah.
0: Well, you you write about this. Certainly, we talked about the universal Christ and non-dual traditions, but you write in this book about the need for separati- separation and differentiation to then create completion and unity. That that's right. And that's part of the issue where, given the current context of the spirit of the times, we were not able to to discern the differences because it's offensive and well, there right. there are differences now granted that's statistical right we're saying there's um there's a tendency or a preference for this if we look statistically at men and women or masculine yes. and feminine very good
1: thanks for
0: saying that yeah but the struggle is that I mean, I got to own it, is that I feel anxious going into the conversation, probably because I know somebody's going to get offended. I know somebody's going to take exception to it. But really, in order to talk about this, we have to distinguish difference so that we can come together in meaningful ways. So I think that's part of my
1: disclaimer that I usually have to say. Thank you. You can only unite that which is properly separated. (laughs) If, If you don't want to overcome difference right you honor the difference and then you learn how to put it together i say the classic pattern you know that from one of my books is order disorder reorder you can't have reorder until you go through necessary disorder differentiation critique use what word you want Mm -hmm. and most religious people think what religion is, is staying in the first box. Order, order, mm. order, order, order. It done work. It never did work.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you really do a great job of helping, helping me connect with a deeply Catholic Catholic, Catholic early tradition. I, I Early, yes. You know, I, I really like what you represent from a more mystical Catholicism that has seemed so healthy to me as I've gotten to know you and your work more and more.
1: No, it is. Healthy Catholicism is symbolic, Mm -hmm. right brain, with a philosophical tradition undergirding it. And there you have it again, the female and the male.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I can love, yeah. (laughs) But But we don't have much healthy Catholicism today. We have parochialism. Well,
0: on on behalf of all kinds of traditions, thanks for continuing to take that on. That's
1: right.
0: That's right. Yeah. So how, how, I mean, this may be redundant at this point, but how do you define healthy masculinity and what are the core elements that constitute that? Uh, I think you're kind of talking about that and that you've defined some of this differentiation and objectivity, but this is where we get into paradox because I would think healthy masculinity is not only those masculine dynamics, but it also involves an integration of the feminine
1: pieces that you brought out earlier. Let me try this. Healthy masculinity, whatever power roles it holds are whatever outer authority it, it exercises is based, first of all, on inner authority Mm -hmm. and because it has inner authority it can hold and not be inflated by outer Mm -hmm. authority Mm -hmm. Uh, and so many have i mean forgive me i'm not trying to be negative but i watch our senators and, well i'm not going to name names people in washington uh there's no inner authority There's Mm -hmm. just and why would you follow them? It's like men who don't know who they are, yeah, grabbing at straws for role and title and money and influence, and it just breaks your heart, and it just leads us to hate males all the more. Mm -hmm. This is what it produces, and I, living inside the church, I mean the primary critics of wonderful Pope Francis, you know, we're good friends, so I'm biased, I admit, but, uh, <laughs> is the bishops of America. Mm. They fight him at every turn. Uh, I just can't believe this happened. How could they be so stupid? Well, they were <laughs> too often men who sought a role instead of sought God and themselves. hmm and you mm. give a man a role before he knows himself, and before he knows God, he'll abuse it every time, mm. he, his role. Because it's just, uh, it's an instrumental uh, mechanism by which to have power. And the when the male doesn't have wisdom, he always seeks power. And I don't mean good power. I, there's good power. Yes. Bad power. Just power for its own sake. I mean, there's one of the parties, I won't name it, in Washington that it's like you feel like they're shooting themselves in the foot every day. Just to be right and different than the other party. Uh it, it, it seems to me that you're talking about both parties. Well, you know that's true. One it's just a matter of degree. No, you're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. You do you do a really good
0: job involving your critique of the liberal or progressive and the conservative and really looking at what um underscores that. I think a guy named Jonathan Haidt did a great job in his book The Righteous Mind, talking about the
1: Oh, you've read that. Oh good yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good.
0: I enjoyed that book very much.
1: But actually, this
0: jumps ahead to something that I want to quote so we can kind of emphasize this. On page 153, you state, patriarchy is the false king who has not asked the grail question. Patriarchy is the world of men who just want to get reelected and will tell any lies we are stupid enough to believe. That's a great quote, Richard.
1: And I said that in 94. Yes. I just opened the page. I sure did. And what what baffles me is
0: that I, 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 you could have written that book today. I like. The, I know. I the, know. The scariest thing is that you were a bit prophetic in a lot of these in a number of ways, but in a lot of your predictions about how things were going to turn out, given the state of masculinity, but also the broader culture in '94. And I'll I'll back this up in a little bit, um, but I'm I'm kind of shocked by how unfortunately correct you were in some of your predictions. But this quote, to me, uh, I I don't know, the the, the term patriarchy has become so synonymous with masculinity that it it needs a bit of tending and defining. So I really wanted to put this quote front and center for us to explore.
1: Patriarchy, for me, is inherently negative. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, agreed. The male misuse our non-knowledge of his own power hmm But I, I guess the
0: distinction here that's important is that patriarchy is not synonymous with men. Patriarchy here is synonymous oh, with with uh uninitiated men. And we're that's gonna right. we're gonna certainly talk about why you use the Grail myth in this book, which was just so fantastic, Richard. Um but this the a bunch of uninitiated men, you didn't get the you know the Way
1: of Deers, yeah. <laughs>
0: so So, um, I I like that you, and and for anybody, uh, maybe I'll try to find a way to involve this um, image at some point, but you, let me find this, you talk about, yes, uh, it's on page, I don't know, 15, when the inner king rules and when the inner queen rules, you're talking about these differences, and, uh, you know, inner patriarchy and inner matriarchy, objectivity, and subjectivity, reason and law, meaning and exception, pattern and repair. Those are masculine, feminine, spirit, truth, soul, remembrance, the public good, the personal good, outer order, inner healing. You know, anybody, uh, I've already bought a ton of these books. I'm going to hand them out like popcorn. And for these reasons, you did such a great job of um, identifying what is so difficult for many people to identify in the it current conversation, because they're so emotional about it, it's so intensely
1: emotional right now.
0: Any thoughts on that?
1: You know, whenever you have strong opinions, too strong opinions, you have lack of self knowledge, lack of the self critical function. You're overstating your case. That's why you've got to say it so loud and so mm. often and. With a four-letter word, preferably. Uh, guilty, by the way. I'm totally, I'm totally guilty. I am it. shocked. Your generation, on my own staff here. Of course, I'm 80 now. <laughs> but we just didn't use four-letter words. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> and you, my God, do you use them? And I'm not saying it's bad, but there is some, there's something going on there that's strange. That's all I'm saying. There's some ump- Why do you need to say it in a quasi-offensive way yeah. to get other people's attention? Oh,
0: yeah. I'm 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 seeing myself a little bit there because I'm such a I like to push at the You're taboo. You're
1: delightful. I wouldn't <laughs>
0: worry. You're not negative. Um, So can you discuss the impact of the traditional masculine archetypes? I'm I'm really kind of wanting to explore something we've talked about, king, warrior, lover, magician. Would you kind of introduce these ideas so we can kind of broaden our, our, um, we can get some discernment in our masculinity here?
1: Anthropologists and literary critics, starting 20, 30 years ago, did a study of the stories fascinate men Uh, top of the list, of course, was this one, the quest for the Grail. Uh, And they recognize that in all great male stories or stories that uh, those action movies that you go to, (laughs) (laughs) I've always gone to, (laughs) if you look at them, look next time, there's always four energies. Mm. And it's true. First of all, there's a big boss, the head guy. (laughs) He can be either good or bad, good king or bad king, but there's always got to be a a Darth Vader, you know, which means dark father, by the way. In that case, it's dark. There's always got to be a warrior. Mm. It wasn't Sir Galahad in the Arthurian legend, Mm. I think. Uh, The guy who. Bruce Willis plays the role, or, or Clint Eastwood, or so some... <laughs> I watched all those movies, Richard. <laughs> <You> can... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's always got to be a sage yeah. Merlin is the obvious image, the man who he has a thousand faces, mm-hmm. as Joseph Campbell says mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the prophet, the holy man, the philosopher the wisdom figure just or just the sanex just Mm. the old man he's often symbolized like in the tarot cards as a hermit apart from the common domain and then of course the uh lover Mm. who also takes many different forms the poet the erotic lover Mm -hmm. the uh the sweet guy the guy who uh loves to communicate, to know, to understand. You find those four energies in any great male story, and they balance and regulate one another. If if there's only one, it's a very imperfect story, and you get tired of it halfway through. It was just the king using his power over and over again Uh, Now, in most literature, the king never listens to the wise man or the sage. In fact, even in the Bible, the Mm -hmm. only time that a king obeys a a prophet is David listens to Nathan. When Nathan accuses David and says, that man is you, and David says, you're right. That just never happens. Never, never. And that was uh, the making of David as a very whole man. It's no surprise that, uh, you know, Michelangelo carved David as the whole man. He, Mm. He really is symbolically that. And Jesus, as the son of David, is king, warrior, lover, and magician all in one. That's the whole man. We usually have one that we resist and oppose and learn lately. For me, it was the warrior. Mm -hmm. I was a child of the 60s. I was a Franciscan. We just had no use for warriors. So you didn't watch Die Hard. (laughs) I wouldn't have gone close. But just this week, I was driving (laughs) a friend up here in northern New Mexico at a beautiful monument called Angel Fire, which is a magnificent veterans monument built by a father in honor of his son. Mm. And you just see people walking through it, tearing up the stories of this platoon in Vietnam Mm -hmm. that so suffered and died for our country and for one another. I've heard too many stories like that now at 80 to dismiss the warrior. Mm -hmm. There's always one that you accept late and last. For me, it was the warrior. Mm -hmm. You seem to have all four, but by reason of age, you're a prince instead of a king. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're a little little prince, (laughs) Um, but you can spot a prince all the ingredients are there all they need is time time Mm. and so you're a king in the making
0: that's an honor richard thank you
1: but as a a boy do you mind me telling your anagram number
0: you can yes (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) look at that smile because you're a seven your your first preferred archetype is the lover yeah the enjoyment of reality that's yeah, it, where it, you land first it, it
0: played out in my love of music and theater and i i, I loved it i i got headfirst into pleasure and excitement yeah. and engagement yeah
1: yeah docking up hedons <laughs> in your, in as many hedons thing. as i could
0: yes <laughs> i
1: was a pretty wild a wild man in my early 20s what the lover needs is a good king or mm-hmm. a good warrior mm-hmm. to show him to put limits to his seeking of pleasure Ugh. and if he has that he can seek all the pleasure he wants mm-hmm. it'll be balanced it won't be addiction yeah left to itself the lover becomes an addict if he has a good king Oof. in his life if he has a good uh, warrior in his life He knows how to put boundaries Mm -hmm. to himself. It usually takes some time, but he gets there.
0: Or some trauma. Clearly
1: crossed that line already. You couldn't have the degrees you have, which takes boundary setting. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean that it was a a series of traumas that brought about the um, the destabilization of all of those hedon seeking. (laughs) moments, you know, to, to, to kind of subvert my, uh, my pleasure seeking. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... yeah. And that's, I mean, I, I, I draw up on Jung there because I really uh, enjoyed his definition of God in good housekeeping. You know, the, any force that disrupts my subjective states of being for better or for worse and has me essentially challenging the ideas of how I orient myself to life. And, When you have a kind of destabilizing trauma, you uh (laughs) you don't second guess that if if you're paying attention.
1: Very good, very good. So anyway, those are the four we could I used to give whole four day retreats on those. Mm -hmm. Uh it was always extremely fruitful. Well so and to Go on. just sorry. name, them. just name them that's
0: all well to to push that, and this may be redundant, but i something that um has recently come up is the the honorable king, the courageous or strong warrior, the yes. lover who is oriented to aesthetics and beauty, and the magician who I think is um sets this container. I mean, there's a container setting that a magician does. You know, there's a, there's a power in setting the stage. And that's, that's a one that I'm particularly, particularly interested in, but would you push that a little bit? The
1: magician? Yeah. He loves, she loves beauty. Uh, We call it ritual space, Mm. beautiful ritual, beautiful liturgy, Well-appointed spaces. Mm -hmm. Uh, I used to do my Lenten retreat up at Big Sur. There's a monastery there of uh, the Camaldolese monks. It's a bare, circular chapel. And for Mass, we just all stand against the outer walls of the chapel, and there's one priest in the middle. Just the architecture. And the sonorous singing, Mm -hmm. bouncing out of that circular space, heal you. You don't even need to pay any attention to the words. Uh, So we call them in the rites of passage, the ritual elder. One person who just sees to that, that everything is done ritually well. Men really respect li- ritual. If you doubt that, watch the military. Mm-hmm. My God, do they have rituals? You know, mm-hmm. yes. They've outdone the church, and men just fit in line with it. They sure. It do. gives them comfort when at, when all of us are respecting the same lockstep or salute or flag or. Um, I it always surprises me that otherwise macho men can so submit to a group ritual. Mm -hmm. There's something healing happening there. So, um, yeah, it has to do with beauty and sound, art and poetry. Mm -hmm. We use poetry at great lengths in all of our rites of passage. I used to begin and end all my major talks with a poem. And I can't tell you how many men said they never read poetry till after their initiation. Now they can't live without it. What's one of your favorite poems? You know, uh, the one I found myself, or the two poets I found myself reading the most were the Austrian Rainer Maria Rilke and the American Mary...
0: Why am I forgetting her name? Atwood. Margaret Atwood. That's what that is.
1: I feel so stupid. I quoted her more than any poem. <laughs> Mary. She lived in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Uh, Did she write Wild Geese? Yes. Yes. Uh, Mary. Everybody, forgive me. I'm 80 years old. My brain just. <laughs> It doesn't work anymore. Uh, I'll, it'll hit me as soon as I stop trying to think of it. Yeah. Her poetry would blow men out of the water.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Wild geese would be an yeah. example. That's one of them I read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
0: there's something about that setting that the magician... It It's weird because the one of the things you said before is that when when all these are in alignment, You know, you have an honorable king, a strong warrior, a a a firm, um, like a charismatic, you know, magician. It constellates a container, and the aesthetics of and love and eroticism of the poet or the lover. That's a very well integrated man, and he just is. He's in service (laughs) to. I mean, that's just to kick this a little further down the road. It's. it's one of the reasons why I love the Knights of the Round Table image in that there is this circular image that's uh, where men put their sword into service to a higher authority. Yes, yes. And that's why I think that the religious function of the psyche, as Lionel Corbett says it, is such an important, constellating, mysterious... um, Energy or image to constellate that uh, that round uh, orientation.
1: Perfect. Yeah, so, we're on to something with the four archetypes, and of course, if we had time, there's comparable female archetypes, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and we got to honor those equally.
0: Okay, hang on. You're gonna you're gonna really. It's gonna bother me here. Um, I'm the editor, Richard. I can. Mary Oliver.
1: Oliver, what's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> I love her so much. I repressed it. People used to say I overquoted her. But if you mm-hmm. try to teach the contemplative mind, you can't get a better poet than Mary Oliver. Mm-hmm. Not even John of the Cross, or Rumi. <laughs> You Who know, are two other ones I use, but yes. they can't outdo her. She's first rate, first mm-hmm. rate, beautiful.
0: Okay, so jumping in a little further, I want to talk a bit about your men's rites of passage work because out of out of this call, you know, you what I love about your work is you really saw this need. You you saw the need of men. You were serving a role. You engaged in your laboratory, and then you. You took theology and theory and applied it into a container where you were initiating men into this community and group you called Men's Rites of Passage. Can you explain the significance of your Men's Rites of Passage work in cultivating this balanced masculinity and also hitting on the key elements of the rites? That's huge. Uh, From
1: 1991 to 1995... I read and bought, I must have spent a fortune, every book I could on the universal phenomenon of male initiation. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's found in every culture in one form or another till the modern West. And uh, we have to at least in part blame uh, Christianity for its infantilizing of baptism. Because we thought we had... Our initiation, right? But it had, we, we Catholics take blame here. We started baptizing babies as soon as we identified with the Empire after 313, the Roman Catholic Church. So once you baptize babies, you don't have male initiation anymore. You don't have female initiation anymore. You see? So the whole tradition died huh. out. And wasn't even deemed necessary. But I read books on Africa. I was able to attend part of some of the ceremonies in Africa. That was wonderful. The aboriginals in Australia, the Celts in Europe, the Native Americans, Asia. It's every culture deemed that the male doesn't naturally become a man. Mm -hmm. He doesn't naturally grow up. Women... They don't have initiation rights. I don't know if I say that in the book. You do. They, yeah. Yeah. They have puberty rights and fertility rights that tell them their body is sacred. Mm. Don't just give it away lightly. You continue the human race, and and you are the holy one. You know, uh. it was to affirm the feminine body and to get the male to respect it. So it had a completely different function. For the male, without exception, let's just take the Jewish rite of circumcision. Mm -hmm. It always emphasized defeat, humiliation, suffering. I mean, when you think of it, what more irrational, ridiculous thing could (laughs) to cut off the foreskin of your penis? I mean, we (laughs) we (laughs) can't. think of anything more painful <laughs> and more horrible <laughs> too, <laughs> And yet, do you know, two-thirds of the cultures of the world yeah. practice, practice circumcision. Now we don't want to do it because it might give the boy a negative self-image. <laughs> of course, they're partially right because we have no sacred liminal space to surround it with.
0: Yeah, it's it's totally lost its
1: depth of Yeah. Mind. You can only do holy things that are outrageous inside of sacred space. Now, what they're starting this afternoon, just 100 miles from here, is to create that sacred space. Mm. It's funny we're talking right now. They're gathering in northern New Mexico, and the first night, it begins. And once they accept that, that the rules don't apply here, you're in a different space. Mm. We create the rules now. There comes this deep respect for what's going to happen, and I'm going to allow it to happen. That's sacred space where you're not fighting the moment. Mm. You're you're trusting the moment to be something good. So anyway, I studied for five years. I finally created by 19 late 1995. <clears throat> a five-day event, and that's what's starting today here in New Mexico, that I called uh, Men's Rights of Passage. It's now used in 13 countries and nine areas of the United States. How much of it can I share? We, I don't share everything, mm-hmm. and it's not to make it some big dark secret. Mm-hmm. It's because once people hear, they think, well, I don't need to do it. I heard all about it. Right. Uh, that it's something other than participation. No, you have to walk through it. Yeah. Have well, to...
0: We also have totally lost the value of the esoteric.
1: That's right. We got to right. know it all. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in my book, Adam's Return, mm-hmm. I do give away a lot of it, but not all of it. And. Uh, of all, I mean, I've given retreats for over 50 years, and uh, n- no model of retreat so assured that people would change, mm. really change, uh, as did the men's initiation rites. Men were just ecstatic, different. Mm. They began to write poetry i would i got more letters from wives than i did from the men <laughs> thanking me he <laughs> said he's a different man <laughs> that's why i said women you got nothing to be afraid of he's not going to come home an animal
2: mm-hmm.
1: although a lot of them told me sex was even better i, bet. I bet. you are the man an animal had a soul yes he had a soul finally see when you fly too high that's the icarus story To the spirit world without going through the world of soul Mm -hmm. humanization let's just call it that
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh spirit is well i'm going to offend somebody by saying this but it's fundamentalist christianity Mm -hmm. it it has no soul it's all spirit Mm -hmm. it's an excess of spirit define push that a little
0: bit define that yeah
1: spirit aims upward, to the top, the last, the most important. Uh, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's all settled. There's nothing more that's worth talking about. (laughs) My mother wound, my father wound, my addiction, my dominance over my wife. No, we don't talk about these things. I have Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Uh. American fundamentalism is really a disaster. Mm-hmm. For the because we've exported it to the whole world. And forgive me, I, I know you're in Texas, but it, it's it's mainly exported from the deep south, yeah. which was able to compromise with slavery. Mm. I mean, so right off the bat, you you know you're not dealing with a very deep system, mm-hmm. a very deep understanding of Christianity. Once you can justify enslaving of people of color, enslaving, using fellow human beings as property. Your religion is so immature, so anti-Christ, more than Christ, that it's more a part of the problem than it is the solution.
0: I, I urge anybody who's listening to this who's feeling pissed off and angry to see our earlier conversation about being opinionated and judgmental and look at your own emotional reactions and try to query why it is you're feeling emotional and reactive in this moment and actually try to be discerning and distinguish what's happening in your own psyche with your own anger that you're looking at other people and projecting all over the place
1: God you're a good therapist thank you for protecting me but uh you know I mean, <laughs>
0: i'll protect you all the time richard
1: <laughs> your state is an example of this yes it is unhealthy masculine and, I know it's dangerous to make generalizations. It is. I have so many Texas friends. And when we give the rights in Texas, the stories are different. It's just this macho yeah. bubba. Is that still your word? It's still a word. <laughs> yes, yeah, still...
0: And by the way, I, I, I need to say this. I, I love Texas. I love oh, I hope I, so I have so know, many Texas
1: friends.
0: But I, I say that not to you or not to be defensive. I say that to the people who may be offended. Yeah, is that sure, I actually grew sure. up as a very Texan Texan. And you I too. think oh I mean, you know, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, and oh, all the stuff. You know, our <laughs> rites of passage involve all kinds of, you know, going to ranches and doing everything in the wilderness, and there's a very beautiful aspect to that. But what there we're it t- is. What we're yeah. talking about is when the, I think the religious function plays itself out in a kind of nationalism, and, and th- it's an unconscious dynamic where you're not actually connected with the great mysteries of existence because you've already defined them, and you, you've already answered for them, and you, you're not recognizing that you don't know. There's no cloud of unknowing. There are only answers. Very good. And people are saying, oh, yeah, this is heaven, and heaven looks like this. It's like, no, you don't know, and you can't know. And that's the miraculous nature of what the religious function is all about, is that you're actually in relationship to the greatest mysteries of existence. And when you can humble yourself in the face of those mysteries, that's where all these beautiful aspects of king, magician, lover, and warrior come into place.
1: Thank you. That was a bit of a rant. <laughs> you know, you, spoke, <laughs> you speak of good Catholicism, but healthy Catholicism in the first thousand years balanced two spiritual traditions. The cataphatic, mm. which is knowing God through words and ideas and, and uh, clarity. Mm. The apophatic was knowing God through silence and through symbol, and through darkness. Yes. Now, if you think that's not biblical, I always tell people, go to the two great theophanies in the Bible, Mount Sinai with Moses, Mount Tabor with Jesus. They Mm -hmm. go to the top of the mountain. They have a theophany, a God experience. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, it strongly says, and immediately the mountain was covered with clouds. So you have, that's the cloud of unknowing. Don't think you know God because you had a momentary God experience on the mountaintop. Those were the two. When you balance knowing with not knowing, you have faith. The opposite of faith, I'm going to say this strong, you know it already. The opposite of faith is not doubt, Mm -hmm. as most people think, as fundamentalists seem to think. The opposite of faith is certitude. Let me repeat it. The opposite of faith is certitude. (laughs) And that's what we're dealing with. Over-opinionated people, forgive my arrogance, God forgive me, who don't know anything about spirituality. And they speak with the greatest certitude. And I have happened to meet an awful lot of them in your state it's it's because it's a whole culture there it's not anybody's fault Mm -hmm. they even say it with a cute twang and a smile (laughs) but well i guess
0: to to maybe position that in a in a loving context also because maybe the symbolic aspects of the religion fall short in these traditions but one arena where they remain strong is in the social dimension there's there's very much a, sh- a social dynamic that's playing out which has a very southern aspect to it you know this kind of cohesion and connection and familial dimension and you go out into rural texas and it's waving to everybody and kindness and yeah uh, well people that look like you but there's yeah. there's kindness there, and that's important to note. That right? is true. Yeah,
1: that's definitely true. But it becomes a substitute for loving the outsider. Yeah. is over loving the insider. Yeah, well said. And that's the part they don't see. But so, we're grateful for that. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's
0: that's that's why it's important, I think, because I'm even notice noticing my own emotionality there is that those um. Those little rants have to be balanced by a compensatory response that says and. That's right. Thank and you. also, um, well, I'm trying to to deal with my own <laughs> my own my own opinionated um, emotionality that I that I, given my typology I need to be careful about because I can tend to be kind of emotionally oriented. Um, so, I've
1: never heard you overstate your case. I haven't. You're sweet. I hear myself, but not you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I want to go you know, back the to The book something. I'm writing on the prophets is to make the point that the Jewish prophets teach us self-criticism. Yes. And that's how the prophets have had so little influence in teaching any of us self-criticism. We're more trained in criticizing others not our own group. Uh, okay,
0: before we go where I wanted to go, we got to go there. What w- will you speak about self-criticism and what are you know th- I really enjoy it when you start drawing from the well of an older catholicism because the theology really makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and so does, I, does. will you pull at that the self-criticism.
1: It is to the glory of the Jewish people that they are the only religion I know of. Now We'll get to Christianity, but that integrates into its sacred texts, its scriptures, 19 to 20 people, the writing prophets, who all, forgive me, say to the Jewish people, you're phonies, you're hypocrites, you're full of shit. No one ever says that. Now, Jesus says it to us, but we've stopped hearing him that way. We can't hear it when he tells us we're white and sepulchers and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Jesus has to be understood in fact I'll say can only be understood in the lineage of the Jewish prophets mm. he's a Jewish prophet
2: mm-hmm.
1: who out of love for his own religion critiques it mm. that need is so major because and you know this as a good union every institution has its shadow side every no exception the united states of america the catholic church the marine corps uh feminism Mm -hmm. just go through the okay i i agree with its insights but let's talk about its blind spots it's always 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 there if i like carl jung just for that It'd be Mm -hmm. enough reason to like Carl Jung. Agreed. Now, I believe Jesus says it, the same thing. But uh, we've so spiritualized the words of Jesus, like, let him without sin throw the first stone or something like that. Mm -hmm. We don't realize that he's talking about, you know, you have a shadow too. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you picking on this poor woman caught in adultery?
2: Yeah.
1: Isn't did I answer your question?
2: You did totally, okay. and
0: I, you know that's the importance. We're we're building a lot of community in a number of relationships that I'm in, and the thankfully, in each of those conversations is the necessity for us to be aware of the shadow function that exists inevitably. And so what I what I love about the folks that I'm that I'm working with is there's a real desire to say, hey, guilty blind. Help me help me reflect on myself. Help me come to know what I don't know about myself, and I submit to myself to be able to hear what you have to say. And it's hard, and I'm going to defend against it, and I may wrestle with you a little bit, but we're going to get to the bottom of this. And that seems to be the only avenue to a healthy system, healthy institution, healthy Excellent. self.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think that's why most human beings, for their own health, are called to marriage, to a long-term relationship with one who is very other. (laughs) And she has to be, he has to be. And it's in honoring that first otherness of maleness, of femaleness, that we learn to love otherness in general Mm -hmm. and stop calling it heresy Mm -hmm. and sin and bad so forth
0: well this is the sacred marriage that that to, right. to allow right. for the marriage container um, in whatever form it takes the marriage container to be that magical containment that allows for the opposites to come together young was great Perfect. about talking about this yes
1: that's all i'm saying yeah you got it. <laughs> you always do <laughs> um so
0: let's let's get into some challenges um how are you doing on time? By the way, you feeling good?
1: I'm fine.
0: Okay, good. You're and awesome.
1: Time isn't the issue; it's just tiredness. Yeah, I get no, but I'm not tired. But okay. I will get good, tired. Good. Yeah. Um,
0: what? Let's let's kind of move this in today. And I know that we're talking around a lot of these things, and we'll probably be redundant a bit. But what are the primary challenges you believe men face today in connecting with authentic masculinity, and how they can navigate these challenges?
1: What are the primary The male is fascinated by power. That's why he likes cars crashing into cars. (laughs) He just loves power. So we have to find a way, instead of condemning it or laughing at it like I just did, (laughs) we have to say, okay, what's good about it? And what's bad about it? Mm Mm-hmm. Is there, is there such a thing as good power? And what I tried to say earlier, not very well, is that if I'm going to make the feminine the inner and the masculine the outer, and that's not the total truth, mm-hmm. it's just a truth, <laughs> uh, then we've got to critique the outer power that's operating without any self-knowledge, without any self-critique. And that's most of it. When my team is always right, my wars are always good wars, uh, my motives are always holy motives, Mm. we just end up doing terrible things. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, people who are especially subject to that and i say that being a priest now for 54 years among religious people religion allows us to sanctify our motives to believe my motives are always i for god for country for whatever and so what we did in general i'm going to make a generalization Please forgive me, but I know you'll know it's partially true at least. What we did in Christian morality was attack the shadow, hmm. especially by all of our purity codes, uh, whereas what Jesus attacks is the ego, not the shadow. He is no way interested in, in purity codes. You know, I'm going to quote the Pope. You know that we became friends. Uh so uh, you can't do any better as a Catholic. <laughs> oh, You're in good company, but this one happens to be one worth quoting. He said two months ago, "The sexual teaching of the Catholic Church, the Pope said this, get ready, is still in diapers. <laughs> he said the the, <laughs> the Pope said that. Oh, the right wing is just going through the ceiling. The sexual teaching of the church is still in diapers. When you emphasize purity codes Hmm. uh, and ignore power and money, I know this now. I just wrote a book about the prophets, so I've earned the right to say this. The prophets are bored with sexuality. That's why I don't make a great deal of John the Baptist. I hope this doesn't earn me more enemies, but John the Baptist is hung up in one marriage relationship that is off kilter. But he never addresses power and money. Mm. Well, he he thinks he is. If you read the 19 prophets, without exception, they see evil hidden inside of misuse of power and misuse of money. It's I don't even need to prove it. Just saying that to you, you open one of the prophets and you'll see it. They're, They're just, how did we miss this point? And I told some of my Jewish friends in Taos this weekend, you know, even the Jewish people really paid no attention to the prophets. They said none. Mm -hmm. Because you can't read when you burn your heifers in the temple, I hold my nose. That's what Amos has God saying. All your burnt animals stink. I mean, they just critique temple worship any they're not into the temple at all and here now we christian ministers have made our ministry sunday go to meeting christianity that has no foundation Mm -hmm. in the jewish prophets about attending a service once a week where did that come from we've all heard it so much we assume it's true it isn't true in the prophets they're talking about living a life of justice and the primary enemies are power and money. Mm. It's extraordinary. And, and all I need to do is say that. You throw their books open and you'll see it. You say, well, how come I didn't see this? Because no one told you to look for it. <laughs> and once you're told to look for it, you'll see that it's there. So evil in the prophets is not situated in bad individuals. Mm-hmm. It's corporate, it's the collective, it's society, what we today would call culture. They critique the Jewish culture, the temple culture, the priesthood culture, the king culture. Uh, I mean, the kings kill every prophet.
0: Why? This is such a good point here, Richard, that, yeah. that the... That I have a couple of colleagues of mine that that there are times when I get too emotional, and I talk about the church with these broad sweeping brushstrokes, when actually I know many priests and many ministers and many clergy people who are doing incredible work. they in, too they 're involved in social justice, they're involved in healing, they're involved in well-being. I am a beneficiary of many people who are uh, colored and many people who are, are ministers in uh in and that are loving men and women that are that are doing exceptional work for humanity and then you have this overriding issue which sometimes i've said the church but really what i'm coming to understand is it's the culture it's it, it is Very our good. culture that is the problem and and quite frankly all these clergy people are are trying to do good work despite the culture. Are. They
1: are. They are. So I had but to
0: I had to jump in there so that's
1: attacking the individual. Yeah. And uh you have read that quote from Peter Drucker, which one? Uh, culture eats systems for lunch. I say culture eats religion for breakfast. Mm. <laughs> you know, you know, I I mean I've preached on every continent all over the world. It's much more Indonesia than it is Catholicism or Baptist. It's always the culture that wins. Yeah. The culture that makes you think a certain way. Uh, And what the prophets do is give social critique. I was happy you used the word social justice. Yes. It's not a private virtue. It's a collective commitment or concern. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do to rebuild organized religion from the bottom up. Yes. What we have now, if you don't mind me saying, John, it's a cult of innocence. How we can all prove we're innocent and we're not sinners. We're saved by the blood of the lamb. So we're even more innocent. Whereas what Jesus does is goes and eat with sinners. Mm-hmm. He identifies With the least, not the top, the bottom. That changes everything, you know?
0: Why is. So to hear you speak about this, it's beautiful because your knowledge is so expansive. And yet we still have such misinterpretation of even Jesus. What do you see in that? Like, what? what? Just comment.
1: (laughs) We can't let Jesus speak his real truth to us. You know, like he never talks about homosexuality, mm-hmm. he never talks about transgender. In fact, he honors eunuchs, mm-hmm. who would be the New Testament counterpart to what we call transgender or, or gay. And yet we made this the be all and the end all. He never talks once about abortion. Mm-hmm. And that's almost the hallmark of the Catholic Church for the last 20 years is to be against abortion i'm not saying i'm for abortion i'm not but come on when the whole thing is framed wrongly Mm -hmm. and the very people who are against abortion belong to the gun culture and believe Mm -hmm. in euthanasia and capital punishment why should i believe that they're Mm pro-life it just it, it doesn't work it just doesn't work you know uh so this is what's falling apart what i'm saying directly people are recognizing intuitively and that's the only reason i think my books and recordings have been received (laughs) people already intuitively know forgive the arrogance what i'm saying is true (laughs) forgive me
0: well it no you you it's like a reclamation of you know you you're so knowledgeable, especially when I love it when you start talking about Jesus in the way that you do because it's a very different Jesus than many very people different. have ever come to know.
1: Very different.
0: Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, gosh, you no, know, talk go about and...
1: men. No, this is going to yeah. I could somebody. go off in religion, <laughs> but <laughs> w- so when you hear men's confessions, the big sin is masturbation. Yeah, and and. I mean, this is the locus of evil. Uh, and there, Get to a purity code, and then you've mm-hmm. got people feeling inferior, unworthy, inadequate. Mm-hmm. So you keep your eyes focused on, in this case, masturbation. And you never have to see that you're not paying your employees a just wage. That's where you're really involved in evil. They don't want to hear that, so they'd sooner talk about masturbation touching your own body you get tired of it yes you always know when their voice gets quieter i'll tell you what it's like to be a confessor the male voice gets quieter and he'll use some euphemism for masturbation (laughs) and i know it's because he feels such shame yes father i I touch myself okay (laughs) you you don't pursue it any further
0: Well, you said, uh, I want to quote from you, because it's on this subject, on page 162. If I were Satan, and if I wanted to destroy Christianity, I would work overtime to tempt Christians to hate the flesh, because we are the only religion that ever believed that God became flesh, incarnation that hates the body. Thank you for hearing that. Yes. It's
1: true. We don't love the body. And that's reflected in how we've treated the corporate body we're all walking on the earth. Yes. Well, Christians you know,
2: have
0: the way that polluted you, the earth at every level. The way you say this is God inhabits the flesh, and the flesh is to be suppressed, repressed, subjugated, denied, and, and withheld punished. and dissociated from and punished... It's so twisted.
1: When I first joined, now this was 61, before the Vatican Council that reformed all this, but when I went in my little tiny cell as a novice at age 19, on my pillow was laying a little two-foot-long whip. And I looked at it, and I asked the novice master, What's that? We'll teach you in a few days what that's for. Uh, And it was for you would flagellate your back, not to the point of blood, but you see the whole emphasis. Yes. Punish the body, and the spirit will just naturally arise. Now, we don't operate that way anymore, but in 1961, we did. Wow. And then I know why we have pedophile priests and Mm -hmm. priests who utterly repress their sexuality long enough to get ordained. Then, once they got ordained, it all came out. Yep. And the church will never recover Mm-mm. from the pedophile scandal. Mm-mm. Never.
0: It's synonymous. Or should. Well, it. No, that's right. They need to be held accountable for atrocities.
1: So, yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, okay. Um, on this note, you state something that I've been quoting a lot. And and please note that I have an objective in our conversation, in talking about men's work, and I just want to. I'm I'm, that's a conversation that needs to be had about sexuality and the pedophilia of the priesthood, and it's something that I know for a fact you would be willing and able to join me in, and you know maybe we'll have that in conversation three should you ever want to get in there. But I do want to continue on our path here. I just want anybody to that's listening to say that this is not a sidestepping of the issue it's it's because uh, I think it needs to be talked about sure
1: you yeah. know and
0: and and in part, we're talking about it by talking about the way that men have oriented to these archetypes and their religious life and the way that it shows up in the institution. so we'll certainly get more to that i i promise if if we can so you state on this note um, what you don't mythologize you pathologize would you elaborate on this you know how much i love this sentence it's like one of my favorite things in the world right now
1: religion is meant to give you a symbolic universe inside of which you can live safely and happily safely and happily when it no longer creates what um well i'll think of his name cosmic egg you know that ah i'm getting so bad with names anyway he called it a cosmic egg Mm -hmm. you have my story which is where you're an expert you have our story Mm -hmm. which is where sociologists are experts you have other people's stories which is the new entrance into the cosmic egg by the way just in the last 50 years uh that's history and historians that's why some of our politicians don't want honest history books we don't want to hear other people's stories mm-hmm. we only want our story you follow my logic there Absolutely. and then the f- top of the cosmic egg This is in one of my books, The Diagram.
0: I just turned to it, and I was trying to see if you had the... Oh, that's the the
1: story. Yes. Which is the patterns that are always true. Forgiveness always heals. That's universally true. I don't care if you're Buddhist or Hindu or native religion. Forgiveness heals. Mm -hmm. You understand? That's the story. Now, what religion job to do, it doesn't know it's doing it is to create a cosmic egg of meaning whereby you've absorbed all Mm -hmm. of those like your mother's milk. Uh, You just live inside of my story. Your soul is affirmed. My group is affirmed and it has Mm -hmm. to be. You have to find out there's something good about being a white man and there's something good about being a black man. Mm -hmm. There's something good about being a Mexican uh, and there is, of course, in every case, every group has a right to that. But the, the, we're, it's the third level that we've just moved to that is tearing the world apart. The confrontation with other people's stories
2: mm-hmm.
1: that compete with our story, conflict with our story, uh, minimize or relativize mm-hmm. our story uh we're in the process of integrating that right now very poorly i might add and those who are running ahead are called liberals or progressives and they're not so good at it yet, but they're trying uh and conservatives are pulling back into our story what's good about being jewish what's good about being catholic what's good about being white okay it's always transcend and include, transcend yeah. include and transcend. Don't throw out the previous stage. Self knowledge, Teresa of Avila says, is the first spiritual mansion.
2: <laughs>
1: Group knowledge is ne- necessary cultural critique and affirmation. Now we're learning. Uh, that other cultures have something to offer, too. And we can't just call them pagans or heathens. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I for, worked first with the Indians. I came out here in mm. New Mexico to work at Acoma Pueblo. And I said, and we thought we came to teach them prayer. They're up early in the morning gesturing the sun toward their heart, you know. They didn't need need to teach contemplation Mm -mm. it's it's all relative you know Mm. so then when someone comes along and talks these story to you you have a lot of soul when you have my story our story and other people's story you're a soulful person Mm. you're ready for spirit that's why jesus the spirit doesn't descend on jesus till he's 30. We were baptizing people in three months. You know, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You've got to live. You've got to love. You've got to sin. Yes, I said that. Yeah. You do. <laughs> you do. You have to. Or you die. I know that from years of spiritual direction. We come to God by doing it wrong, much more than by doing it right, and that's mm. the cult of innocence. That we think we come to God by doing it right. All doing it right does is make you arrogant. The Greek theater called it hubris. I, I'm
0: just having this. I have to go back to this. I have to go back to the pedophilia piece, and I have to pull this together. Which is you said earlier, because I'm 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 having a kind of mind blowing piece, and I know I know I'm with you. Um, I'm with you. Uh, good. Thank you. Circumcision. What, you, what you're blowing my mind about is that circumcision went from a, an initiation rite that happened around 12 or 13 years old that involved pain, that involved pain at a conscious stage wherein there was a transition from one stage to the next. And what we've done is we've medicalized it and put it at the very beginning of an infant's life.
1: And made it pretty, put him in a white dress. Even the boy is in a dress. Go ahead. <laughs> so that, right?
0: This piece, which I, I want to see where we go baptism, which which you and I have had a conversation at one point about, there are some theories that exist that baptism had to do with an ecstatic event wherein somebody was brought close to their death, and then they actually came back reborn. Now, that's, who knows? I think that certainly makes a lot of sense to me.
1: That fits all my studies of initiation.
0: Go ahead. So, and just to clarify for anybody, what we're talking about is One theory that suggests that a baptism was a drowning, where somebody was was a symbolic drowning, somebody brought to a scary experience where their their life was challenged and they had the experiential knowledge of that transition from I can die into now I approach life in a different way. I've been reborn. It's not oil or water sprinkled on your head. But what we're doing is, same thing with circumcision, my mind is being blown, is we're doing it at the very early stages of life. And then you're talking about the repressive aspect of these religious traditions that are um, hating the flesh and repressing the f- flesh, right. which creates the condition in which you have sexual pleasure repression that plays itself out in very harmful very shadowy ways within the organized tradition and then a gigantic cover up that says we can't look at our shadow we can't look at what we created we have to sh- move it over here and continue not to look at it so i i couldn't resist richard it was just oh no, yeah. that's
1: appropriate it, it all fits your pattern what you're describing there yeah so we, uh, by the way the jewish people did the same thing we did By Jesus' time, the baptism of the adult male that we see in Abraham and Moses and several others has begun on the – it happens on the eighth day. Mm -hmm. I was baptized on the eighth day, but they were circumcised on the eighth day. Mm -hmm. So even in temple Judaism, the boy didn't remember his circumcision.
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Just – so you have your facts straightened. Someone doesn't dismiss what you're saying. No, thank you. Yeah. I, but that I've heard that before. That
0: that part part of the church that, and again, I say this trying to be more careful. Part of the church's sin is that it wasn't conscious of the repressive nature of an incarnational right. tradition that is renouncing and repressing the nature of our flesh, the nature of pleasure, the nature of reproduction, and therefore creating a shadowy condition in which it gets expressed in unhealthy ways that create more harm um, than than it needed to, than it certainly needed to. You
1: know, it also, when we teach contemplation, we teach non-dual, thinking Mm -hmm. because most of the west was dualistic once you made the soul that which goes to heaven Mm. then the body had to be the problem Uh. and we find that i'm afraid from the earliest centuries this not in jesus but in his followers it's the too easy enemy to repress the body with the assumption that the soul will emerge if the body is repressed. That's a lie. That's not true. Because
0: yeah, you noted this in the book, that everywhere you look in nature, the, we are, and, and this is what's happening with uh, panpsychism, with, uh, with a lot of what's happening in the world of consciousness, that we are not, that a lot of folks would suggest that consciousness is not created in the brain. We are in consciousness.
1: That's right. Consciousness exists and we plug into it now and then when we're surrendered and when we're in love.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, you and I have been in contexts where that love is just yeah. floating around and you're part- you're grabbing it out of the air almost it's where it where is this? <laughs> and we're grabbing it in one another's bodies, not in a genital way. I right. just mean in a, a touch way. Yeah. Every person Jesus healed, he touched.
0: Well, and that if we... there's a lot. Here, how's this for um, differentiating what we were talking about regarding the... Please, again, the Church and its practices, and in particular the Catholic Church. You talk about, in this book, Quest for the Grail what you did with touch and one of the rituals that you wrote about. And so I hope I'm not overstepping no, that. Esoteric. I, you okay. wrote about putting tape, asking the men to put tape on an area where they were wounded and that other men would come along and touch. And for to have they'd men, go,
1: they'd go to a private room for 20 minutes. I gave them all a two foot red tape. And I said, wherever you're holding pain. Put a little piece of it. When they would walk into the room, you just want to choke up mm. uh, just red tape from top to bottom. Mm. Some of them were sports wounds. Some of them were, you know, physical wounds, but most of them were psychic wounds. And, of course, over the heart, there was a lot of red tape. And over the genitals, there was a lot of red tape.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I haven't done that for 25 years. I went through so many stages of retreats, mm-hmm. but that was dynamite. Very dynamite. healing.
0: Well, it, it. what would any organized tradition look like if it were approaching the body in this way, as opposed to yeah. what we were talking about with the repression earlier? Totally different. Very different. And there are so many men who... I think because touch is so taboo, there is a stirring, even a genital stirring when touch happens. So they push it away because to have one's genitals stirred when you're being touched by another man and not to just go, that's that's my body. That's what it does. It doesn't have to mean what the taboo creates it into. That's right. Very good. Thank you.
1: That's one reason I had to stop that ritual is I had the men even tearing off one another's tape in the context of a, I was saying an extended prayer. Mm. But the right wing got a hold of it and made it sound like a homoerotic ritual, which, well, it was, but, <laughs> but it wasn't in the way that they thought. You understand?
3: You well,
0: know? you you're saying that there is a male-on-male connection not because this is another issue we've turned the erotic we've turned eros into the erotic the way we use it currently not about connection and connecting we've turned it into genital
1: that's right and eros is not the same as yes genital fascination yes
0: And uh, you know what's great about psychoanalytic writing is that they write a lot about this, incest and genital, like all uh, very openly and, and talked a lot about what was happening. But today we can't talk about it. And so it's taboo. And it's very sad that we can't just be okay with our bodies, see how they operate.
1: People think you've got some big secret agenda. Yeah. The gay agenda, the whatever agenda, it's just, oh, stop it.
0: Okay, so I I want to. You are, despite what you're saying, you're incredibly generous with your time, and I want to be mindful about what we're doing. So I'll start kind of closing us out, just so we're uh, okay. So
1: close me out. Close me down.
0: I want to comment on. um, Oh shit! uh, I have, I have a lot. Um, So I want to. Pick the right. Yeah, um, I I said this earlier before we started recording, and I want to note this because you you had a prophecy in your book. You you question on page one thirty nine. You say, "What are the suicide rates going to be twenty five years from now?" And I looked this up, so I Real. want to I want to show you what the suicide rates are now. Um, you wrote it in nineteen ninety four. It is two thousand three. So we're a bit beyond your 25 years. Here they are. Suicide rates increased 37% between 2000 to 2018. 37% increase. They decreased 5% between 2018 and 2020. However, rates nearly returned to their peak in 2021, with the majority being men. This is from the CDC's Vital Statistics in the United States of America. Please.
1: So the decrease is during the pandemic? Yes. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I have to look into that. No,
1: I always say like the body cannot live without food. The soul cannot live without meaning. Mm. And this culture, it is not deeply meaningful to make big money. It just isn't. It's fun. It's helpful. But that doesn't satisfy the soul. And mm-hmm. Every great spiritual teacher has said that. That's not new. And when you give the young man the impression that just get rich is going to satisfy you, it isn't. That's telling him a lie. It isn't. So um, we don't have much meaning, in-depth mm-hmm. meaning. Because we don't live in a symbolic universe where, you know my old phrase, where everything belongs, mm-hmm. where it's all meaningful. It's all inherently meaningful because it's all connected to God. That's that's what good theism does for you. It connects everything to one and oneness. But we've lost that center point. Uh, and I'm not into organized religion, you know that. Mm-hmm. But I am into a, a mythic universe of meaning, which healthy religion gives you. That's right. And uh, in fact, I don't know anybody else who can give it to us. Right. That's you
0: know? that's the irony: is that to reclaim the the health of the culture is to create healthy religious containers and.
1: That's right. That's I would
0: actually advocate to have healthy religious spaces. Yeah. Well, you you your prophecy here is a sad one that as a clinician I work with often and the the impact of suicide affecting family systems because we don't have you know. Yes. Yes. Um okay, I want to see another great quote we don't have to go into because i just like to quote you at this point um is that great religion always begins in mysticism and ends in politics i love that who said
1: that am i quoting someone else uh
0: well i think you i said think that. i learned that somewhere i don't know yeah <laughs> you're, you're passing it along well um and another here is that uh on page 11, you note the work of religion is to awaken the soul so that it will be ready when the teacher arrives or when the Messiah comes. Healthy religion.
1: Healthy, yeah.
0: So, just in closing, um, as society evolves, how do you envision the future of masculinity and what advice would you give to men navigating this changing landscape?
1: You know, I believe, I'm sure you've heard of Brene Brown. Of course. And we've made friends. And uh, she's even from your city. She's a fellow Texan. (laughs) There you go. Uh, We uh, talked together. uh, She came to our center. Mm -hmm. And we both agree that the door has to be opened by vulnerability in some form. Mm. Some form of admission, surrender, Mm -hmm. trust. Use whatever words you want. But without it, nothing new ever happens. Mm. If it's just solidifying boundaries around me or around you. And so is God gonna have to make us hit bottom before the male can be vulnerable? Uh I hope not. But it's more and more looking like that. Mm. Like until he really suffers, the typical male refuses vulnerability. He refuses to admit mistakes. Again, I think it's mirrored in our former president and so much of the leadership of the country, Mm -hmm. a total denial of even the possibility of their own shadow. Mm -hmm. That's anti-vulnerability we're in trouble and and i'm not criticizing him as much as i am who are this 30% of people who don't see a problem with that
2: mm-hmm.
1: the people who are voting for him oh, what kind of maturity do they have that they can't see through such narcissism that's scary yeah and uh could easily lead us into a very fascist worldview. And I'm not trying to be dramatic in saying that, but he is as much as saying he's going to go there. He is saying it. And people are still going to vote for him. They're like lemmings running to the sea to drown themselves. So this worries me about our culture. Religion hasn't been doing its job And culture is suffering. Yes. Because religion pointed to the shadow, not the ego. The ego is out of control. Initiation was always trying to imitate the ego of the young male, without exception. I didn't study a single initiation rite that didn't seek the lessening of hubris in the young boy. Because that's where he goes.
0: Well, I, the thought that comes to mind here is that so often with young men that I've worked with, and certainly in my own masculine development, the things that we try to protect against because we fear we will be seen as weak, the act of trying to protect, to, to protect against that weakness is the weakness. To open and reveal oneself is the strength. That's
1: why you're a good therapist. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it is. It is. Yeah.
0: Well, do you have any other thoughts no, in
1: closing? I'm tiring. I know, me too. <laughs> I get sick of hearing myself. Well, I don't. Uh... And if I've said anything offensive on this, please forgive me, people. I sometimes get so excited. I say it too strongly, so please forgive me. I feel that too.
0: I mean, I I, I, I suffer from the same issue. I get yeah. Im, impassioned. And um, so I I certainly don't mean to offend people. I mean to critique the ways in which we, all of us, inherently approach our blind spots. And so any, good. any critique yes. that I... Any critique, I think you and I would agree on this, any critique that is offered is done so in a way where the finger is also pointed at myself.
1: That's right.
0: Because I am certainly at risk of blindness, of rigidity, of shadow. Uh, I express it, I have it, I am it, I will become identified with it. And that's what I think religion, healthy religion is all about, is having an appropriate container to recognize that I, in fact, have a blind spot, have many blind spots, and I, in fact, struggle with my own shadow.
1: Me too. Thank you, John. Ugh. You're priceless.
0: You are full of love, and I'm grateful <laughs> I to you, wish. Richard.
1: Thank you, though. I could talk to you any day. God <laughs> bless you, brother.
3: Oh